Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name's Richard Porritt. I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello, snowflakes. How are you, Steve? I'm very well. Good. Jerry will be joining me later. We're going to celebrate 70 years of the NHS. Good. Am I not invited? No. Are you having a little party? Yeah. Cakes? There might, there might be cakes. Good. Yeah, there might be. Screening but, of Carry On Doctor. Yes, that would be good. It would be. Doctor Nookie. You're definitely not invited. Um, and then we'll crown a Brexit of the week. We as will. usual. Should we some news? Yeah, a little bit of news. So what news have you got? Well, the, have, have you seen this thing on TV, the World Cup? Love Island? No, the World Cup. It's like Love Island, but with... Football teams. Yes, of course I have. Yeah, it's been good, hasn't it? it it's been an extraordinary World Cup. Um, Tuesday evening was particularly painful. I, I've got to say that since 1986, which is my first memory of watching England, yes. that game yes. in the Estadio Ez Azteca, that's yes. it, isn't it? With the big spider. Yeah, the big spider. Um, big Kronos. Uh, yeah, is that what it was? Was it Kronos that close up on Kronos' his dad, yeah. <laughs> I've kind of been... That was my, one of my earliest engagements with football and um, I've kind of been scarred with England ever since. I feel like it's me that's put a curse on them. So I, I really go through the emotions. I don't really watch, can't really watch England in pubs. No, um, you don't like it, do you? I just I don't mind watching football in pubs. Watch my own team in a pub. Oh right, it's just England. It's just England. I've got a real problem with England, and so I watched it alone yeah. in the office. You did, yeah. And I spent most of penalties lying flat on my back. Did you? Yeah. Drunk again? No, I wasn't drunk. I hadn't had anything to do. I was in the office. <laughs> if HR are listening, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been great. Have you enjoyed it? It's been really good. Yeah. Do you, do you know who else has enjoyed it? No, David Cameron's enjoyed it, hasn't he? Oh have you well, seen? he'll have you been... see his tweet about it. I d- I, yeah, I think I did see one congratulating the. He said last team. night, "I enjoyed a real father and son moment. First, calmly explaining that England and penalty shootouts don't go together, and then the sheer joy and delight and exhilaration at an England victory." Yeah, and my father and son moments. Uh, recently have been me calmly explaining to my son that all of his generation are f***ed because of David Cameron <laughs> wanting to shout, sh- shut up some shouty people in his own party and doing something ridiculous. So thanks for that, David Cameron. My daughter was convinced we would have to move, actually leave Europe. She thought we were going to be would, refugees. Well, that's a very real possibility. So thanks for that, David. Um and the, the other one was Nigel Farage. Did you see Nigel Farage's tweet? He was having a lovely time in the boozer. He had a pint of Moretti. Okay, yeah. If Moretti wants to sponsor this pod, they can't they get into can, it. Yeah, yeah. Just with beer, you don't need to give us money. Um, and he was having a wild time. He had his fags on the table. He did. And he was wearing... He was wearing... Um, well, he was wearing an England flag, he wasn't was, he? Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you something interesting about that picture in a minute. Go on. But the tweet itself said, never seen us win on penalties, perhaps it is coming home. And in 1996... I remember it very well. As football, anyone who as likes football will know, yeah, yeah. England did win a penalty shootout. I, I, know it's a, a long, I know it's quite a long time ago years, now. Nigel Farage was 32 at the time, yeah, so I, thought, I would have thought he would remember it. That's been, that um, was when we first cast aside our penalty curse. It was against Spain. It was yeah. when it, Stuart Pearce did the face, didn't That's he? That's right, yeah. Because he missed one in 90. And I watched that in the, a pub called The Sky Rack in Leeds with my friends Damien Wilkinson and Eddie Tower. It was one of the best afternoons of my life, I've got to say. So Nigel Farage, 32 then, so where the fuck was he? 
Um, and well, hedge funding or something. I, I would have thought so. Yeah. I mean, Nigel Farage is the answer is that he wasn't watching it because no. he doesn't really like football, no, no, does no, he? No, and he's no. pretending to like football. And he doesn't like. He actually doesn't like rugby either, Nigel Farage. He no. likes the two sports that he likes are cricket and sport fishing, which you would have said are the sports of the sort of moneyed elite, wouldn't yeah, you? That yeah, he rails yeah, yeah. against all yeah, the time. Yeah. But he keeps up his his, his manner to people pretense about this because he's a fraud, isn't he? And a, and a, and a fake. <laughs> I think he like is, everything but, you know, he does. I'm, I'm brilliant. I'm quite brilliantly what I'm coming to, and I'm indebted. To Daniel Story, who works for a, a, a website called Football Three Six Five. Uh-huh. Twenty years ago, I was the editor of Football Three Six Five, and yeah. yet it still exists. <laughs> it's even survived me editing it. And Daniel Story went, "Oh, you know, that's that's a good picture of Nigel Farage." And then he went through Getty Images and found that the the pictures of Nigel Farage that he tweeted out saying, "Oh, look at me." I've never seen us win a penalty shootout. We're actually even watching the game against Brussels. Uh, the previous game, which England lost, so it wasn't even a picture against Belgium. Yeah, but so more fake news from Nigel Farage. Also, um, Getty need to get in touch with him because they'll they'll obviously want some money for the usage of that picture. I would hope so. Yeah, and I know full well for you because I use Getty a lot. If that's not on Easy Access, that's going to cost him about five hundred quid. And he is broke as well, isn't so, he? I wouldn't want anyone. I wouldn't want anyone getting anything they don't. They shouldn't have. You know, I don't want anyone to accidentally steal a picture. Yeah. So we should probably alert Getty. I think we, we well, do. I think we should. I'll mention it to Getty. Can Nigel, you mention it to Getty? Don't worry. I'll, I'll what else happened? Did, no, look that tweet. Yeah, Did on. you see Chris the Barker? Um, touched that tweet up a little Chris, bit. Who, Chris the Barker is a uh, cartoonist who often does the front page of the um, uh, of the New European. He uh, changed the flag. He said, "Fixed it for oh, you." Changed it a to Russian flag. A Russian flag. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. And what? Russia is still in it as well. So Nigel's going to have some. Well, who's he going to? Who's he going to want to win? If we get through, if we both get through, what a conflict on Oof. Wednesday night! I think we'll find out. Conflict for, for of true. loyalties. Yeah. Um, you might not have seen this because I think you did then go to the pub, didn't you, when the game was over? But, I did for just briefly. But yes. Do you know what? Did, did you did you see what happened at the end of the game? So at the end of the game, it went to the news, didn't it? And um, and the news was that Vote Leave had been found guilty of overspending in the referendum, um, and. Amazingly, they had sort of vote levered. I mean, it appeared very late at night on BBC News. Mm. And why did it appear late on BBC News at that time? Because everyone was going to be talking about England and Colombia. Yeah. And so why was it released then? Because the whole thing was managed by Vote Leave, who've been given a copy of this report by the Electoral Commission, who have leaked it to the BBC and mm. played it to the BBC, been played, you know, they played the BBC they rather. Really, yeah, they and, you know, they didn't have to put it on, on their website or their social media, they didn't have to put their denial, they just had to leak this to the BBC. Yeah. And the BBC's headline was Vote Leave had been expected to be found guilty and then we were treated to um, a lot of, uh, a big interview with Matthew Elliott from Vote Leave mm. with an onion in his top pocket getting all teary-eyed mm. and Laura Koonsberg um, saying, well, it sounds like you're innocent in theory. Oh, you might be innocent in theory, but it sounds like you were guilty in practice. I mean, amazing. Matthew Elliott moaning that everything is unfair. Like, what, unfair like giving 600 grand to a, a you know, arranging a for 600 grand to be given to a fashion student a few yeah. days before the vote. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then, you know, and I'd, I'm not one of these people who say that the BBC is biased. But you just go, what a dereliction of duty this is! It just, I think, I think it just seems like no one's actually stopped and gone. Oh, wait a minute, maybe what's going on here? What, why, you know, why are they doing it in this manner? Why mm. do, can we? We're going to hold this for a day, or and it was just. I think the someone on one of the numerous BBC news desks, because there are hundreds, yes, needed to just uh, put their foot on the ball, so as they, they say, and yeah. look up. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. didn't, did they? No, they didn't. Uh, I don't I, like presume, the Beeb, because I really like the Beeb. Exactly, yeah. But I presume that they would have said, you can have this, but it's got it's to got go to out go. tonight, after right after the England game. I presume they did. A good night to very bad news. Except, at that stage, I think the BBC probably should have said, actually, do one. Or they should have gone, all right then, and then reported on the, the facts. Yeah, that exactly. That, I think that's what I would have done. Exactly. 
Um, I would always urge people to buy the new European. Yes. Um, the the issue that that came out yesterday, which has got fantastic pastiche of the the scene from The Shining on it here with here's Moggy, um, has got a great piece inside by Christopher Wiley. He was the Cambridge Analytica uh, whistleblower, and he's written a piece about this and his disbelief that it is not being treated as a you know this, this crooked. Referendum is not being it, treated mean, as a major crime in the this thing country. About that article, which we poured over um, on the desk, it, is that he, he? I mean, it's a lever. Christopher Wiley's a lever. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But he's saying he's talking to us. Like he's talking to us, and saying, "Why aren't you more angry?" Yes, about exactly. This? Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. Well, I know. And I, I, you really like the article, don't you? Yeah. I, thought I can see that you've fashioned your hair in a yeah, similar yeah. I love style, that a little so. nose ring. In. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it does seem like, you know, in the last few weeks, there, all right, there's been us, hasn't there? There's, there's been all the way, there's been us, there's been Carol Cadwallader, yeah. um, you know, um, and, the, and a, a couple of others, Open Democracy, people like that. But it seems to me that the New York Times, the, BB, the, the, the New York Times, the Washington Post and CNN take this more seriously than the BBC. Do you think that there is a fatigue among newsrooms on, on Brexit? Well, possibly. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the, Can't the, accuse and, us of that. No. <laughs> and that the, uh, and the, the, maybe that they, they perceive that it's, you know, that, that their viewers are, and, and readers are I mean, yeah, listen, a similar, thing, a similar thing happened um, with the, uh, I mean, you know, this is, as comparisons go, you know, but with Watergate, mm. there were very few reporters on Watergate yeah. for, for the majority of the time. And it then, was only because the Washington Post kept those two fine reporters, yeah. Woodward and Bernstein, on the on the on the story that the that the breakthrough happened. And then, of course, every newspaper in the world was running the story. So, yeah, watch this space. Watch um, this space. Our deep throat, of course, is the Dalek. Yeah, he's looped in, isn't he? He's. I reckon that's what it is. I reckon he's a double agent. I might start. Meeting him in the car park. Yeah, yeah. Is that a pub, the car park? Yeah, <laughs> if, I had a, if I had a pub, I'd call it the car, car park. park. It's good, isn't it? That's a good yeah. name for a pub. And I love car parks. What's your favourite car park? Ooh, I don't really know. I like, um, I like there's, there's some really beautiful ones in um, in um, Chicago. Right. Just on the Just on the river in Chicago, oh, which right. are very, very... They're sort of your your car is your car is sort of out facing the river and, and it's a really beautiful piece of architecture. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I, it's gone now. It looks course, like you know low, hundreds of cars are about on top to of each fall in. Yeah, on top of each other and about to fall into. Oh the man, river. right, I'm gonna check that out. I loved the um, the multi. I love multi-story car parks. I'm not joking. I actually really do. Yeah, yeah. And I love the multi-story car park in in. Um, Gateshead, the Get Carter. Yes, you're gone a big man. Now, sadly, uh, yeah, I went, I went, I went and saw it. Poor in old person. Alf Roberts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. It was Alf Roberts. It was, yeah. yeah, it was. Um, so, so enough on car parks. Enough on car parks. Although that was a fascinating. It was detour. We'll save it for the little car, car park, park joke. <laughs> good, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Theresa May's come up with a new. Theresa May, yeah, she come has. up with a new. Customs arrangement, a third way Brexit. Yeah, you like a third way. I don't love third. You, you like a car park in a third way. Yeah, third way. Yes, I do. I'm a, I'm a fan of third way politics. Absolutely. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. They all had better suits, didn't they? They did. Yeah, that's right. Clinton and Blair. And it was. Why good, do yeah. I like third way politics? Because it's, bit, it's more sensible, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It takes the good bits of both sides and yeah, goes. Yeah. Hey, do you know what? We could just, we could just the use these and do good, do all good bits, yeah, yeah. and then leave all the and bad leave bits. all the stuff, you know, the stuff where we shout at people, the crazy stuff, and yeah, wave flags and wear badges. Um, yes, yeah, so I am a fan of third way politics, and hopefully it will be back with us before too long. This third way Brexit. So this is the um, the facilitated customs arrangement. Yeah, right. Bit. I think. I think the key points are. Yeah, and yeah. You're list- you've got a few hours on as listener because we had to record this, obviously. But I think the key points are that the UK will be able to set its own tariffs on goods coming in. Yes. Good. Yes. Sounds good. While allowing EU tariffs on goods which pass through. Yes. That sounds good. That's all right. Yeah. There's actually not that many, not much stuff that comes comes to Europe via Britain, so yeah, it shouldn't be a massive problem. 
Good. Yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Well done, Teresa. We're going to collect the. Aren't we going to collect the money for them? Well, that's the. You'll have to trust us on yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be fine. Then it is to expected to incorporate. This is going to be the sticking point, isn't it? Regulatory alignment, which yes. would mean avoiding a hard border, Northern Ireland. Yeah. So I think thumbs up. Yeah, generally. Rhys Mogg won't think thumbs up. That's where the issue is, because they don't want regulatory alignment. No. So, We right, can talk good. about him in a minute. Okay, we'll get back to him. So, brilliant, fantastic. There's just a couple of problems. Yeah, go on. A couple of problems. Firstly, Brexiteers aren't going to like it, because regulatory alignment is one of their red lines. Yeah. Okay? But maybe Theresa can buy them off. She's done it before. Maybe, as I, I wrote these words about Theresa May earlier on, she has flip-flopped before during this marathon fudge session. <laughs> anyway. Really, yeah, no, I never thought I'd write that. That's good. Um, then, but what about the EU? Well... Right, because this is what's worrying me. Well... Because, because, why? Well, haven't the EU already said that they wouldn't well, sort of, that, you so, know... Well, but so, Brussels declared... Maximum facilitation, yeah, which is one end Max of this fact. third wave, yeah. yeah, Max fact as bonkers. Yes, Boris described um, described the customs partnership as crazy. Yeah, I worry that we've added crazy and bonkers together. Some people think I'm bonkers. Yeah, but I just think I'm free. <laughs> See, the EU's problem with this is going to be: why would they allow Britain to become a low tariff nation? 21 miles off their coast and still have access to their markets. Well, I know, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, so even if they sort of bend on that in order to get some kind of deal, there's also a suggestion, isn't there, that she might try and wrap up some services agreement into this because, of course, while we're going on about tariffs and all of that, they are massively important and there's nothing... You know, there's not much that's more important than avoiding a hard border in Northern Ireland. The fact is that eighty percent of our economy is is based on services, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And this doing this isn't going to stop banks and financial services industry pouring out of of this country when this actually does. And there's no way that they will agree to anything on services without some element of the free movement of people. And that is the super red line for yeah, everybody, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So. Really, the easiest thing would just be to stay where we are. Um, but that's too logical, isn't it, for this whole process? It is too logical. And um, as I was saying, I've been doing a bit of work on this today, and I think, uh, you know, this this is basically, we've talked about this before, yeah. and it's, you know, this is Theresa May saying, let them eat fudge. Yeah. All of us. Exactly. The people, her backbenchers, the cabinet, and the EU. Yeah. If she gets it through, I mean, if she gets this past the EU and gets this past the Brexiteers, well, she, her popularity, she, she'll have done a, she'll have it'd be job done for Theresa May, won't it? She will have done a smashing job. The well, likelihood of that. She'll have done a job. It, what did I say? A smashing job. Well, I, I'm going to stand by that. Oh yeah. Not all, not the whole thing, the whole but thing, on this yeah. particular, on this particular, bit, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think that's about as likely as England winning the World Cup. Well, you never know. Never say you can't say. Do you not believe? Come on. No, I don't believe no, no, not for a second. Me neither. But for one second, Sweden well, will the be. Best way, isn't it? It'll be very painful and awful. Um, and I wish I never even got involved in football. So, the Max FAC, do you know it's the Facilitated Customs Arrangement, which is the yeah, FCA? It's a long, it? it's a long. And do you know how. The FACA? Yeah, they're pro- the, the Brexiteers in the cabinet are pronouncing it FACA, aren't they? Oh, that's rude. Um, earlier in the week. It was being described by people close to Downing Street as the secret customs model. Yeah. Or scum, oh. for sure. Oh, no. Which is really good. <laughs> and previously, I don't know, cast your mind back a few months, yeah. but when we were talking about the, 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 the start of all of this and we were, starting, we were talking about the, the sort of delay, the timetable, weren't we, of implementation. Uh-huh. And that was called, for a bit, that was called the customs and regularity alignment period until somebody went, that is, it spells crap, doesn't <laughs> it? Um, and so these are all great. And the reason that I mention these is, and it, this is absolutely true, is that there is a bill that Trump is putting forward, uh, which I think there is very... Uh, it, it's got a mixed chance of success, and it is 
it would effectively it would take the USA out of World Trade Organization agreements as they are today. And they are, without any irony, they have presented this and they're calling it the fair and reciprocal tariff, which is fart. Trump's fart bill. Trump's fart. He can't, <laughs> but he won't be able to pass his fart. It is just brilliant. Oh, dear. Dear me. So Mog, then. Moggy. Moggy. The Mogster. He comes, doesn't he? He's a nice chap. He's he's posh, but he's he's a character, just eccentric. And he says, um, well, I saw him on one thing where he said that it doesn't sound like the Brexit that people voted for. Mm. But I saw another uh, that was I think that was on with Andrew Neil. Um, But I saw another quote from him in the newspaper where he just said that's not Brexit. Yeah. And I'm now picturing him as this sort of Gandalf style figure. And he lives in a castle, you know, well, very does, sort of... Well, he does live in a castle, but it's very high up the hill and he's got a long flowing beard and he's garb, you know, flowing garb. Yeah. And lots of little hobbits yeah. come up with scrolls. Yeah. And they try to fight with giant spiders like Kronos yeah. and all these orcs and all these, yeah. you know, horrible ravines and stuff. And then Nadine Doris is there and yeah. all these scary <laughs> God, things. Is scary. And then they bring their scrolls up you know, and then stepping inside his cavernous room and they approach his throne and they say, Master, is this Brexit? And he says, that's not Brexit. And then they have to go back and they, get they, another scroll. Is, is, they, He's like um, Paris Hilton. That's that's hot and that's not hot. Or man's not hot. Man's not hot. Man's not hot. Brexit's not hot. Brexit's, Brexit's not, not hot. hot. Brexit's not hot. Yeah. So um, that's what I'm seeing him as now. Why? Why is? I mean, who put him in charge of what Brexit? Well, means this is the ridiculous is thing about about Rees-Mogg, of course. Um, and there's a great piece which we've got in the paper this week, actually. Terrific piece um, from Sebastian Whale of Politics Home. Yes, talking about you know who appointed Rees-Mogg head of Brexit. Yeah, he's backbench MP. He is. He is. He's very. He got a two-one. I'm amazed by this. I got a two-one. Well, yeah, but in your case, that is. An achievement, isn't it? In Reese Mogg's right. case, it's right. you know. What did you get? Me, I didn't go to university. University of Life, mate. <laughs> well, it's one above the University <laughs> of Huddersfield. That's where I went. <laughs> university of Life. So I'm, yeah. He, he put him in charge of it. Anyway, it is a strange thing that he's become so powerful. I think that's obviously what we're suggesting on the on the front cover this week. You know that uh, he he holds so much sway, but he does, and the ERG has found its. You know, these were crackpots. These were looked upon as crackpots only a couple of years ago. Yeah. And now they're Thank the most God powerful. They put a sensible person like him in charge. Well, indeed. And and now they've and now they're one of the most powerful groups in in British politics. But they and don't have enough politics. people, do they? I think they probably do. I mean, she was going on about um, he was going on about Peel, wasn't he, and the Corn Laws and yeah, everything. Yeah. And the, yeah. the thing with Peel and the Corn Laws, obviously, was that they had the numbers to vote against Peel and, and, yeah. and all of that, whereas Reese Mogg has not got the numbers. He's got, to... the, num- he's got the numbers to, to spark a leadership contest, though. Well, he has, but it's he a leadership just... contest that he would lose. He would lose, but it, 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 it's so destabilising. I mean, would Theresa May still stand? She said she would. She would, She yeah. probably would win. But that she, might... is, she is slightly less popular. I was looking at the YouGov popularity polls today. Yeah. She's slightly How less popular doing? than Reese Mogg. I'm near the top, yeah. Yeah. So. Dalek is doing really well. Is he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, um, he he's minus thirty four though. Same as Boris. You yeah, know, this myth that he is somehow popular nah. in the country is is just that. I yeah. mean, Boris Johnson. I think we could all accept. Even Boris Johnson seems to accept now that his political career is Damn. finished. Done. Yeah, I think. I think it might be so. When after I, I I said I was wrong about this on the pod about two months ago. So apologies, listener, for misleading you. But when. Major said, um, "Okay, put your money where your mouth is." Yeah, that's what he said, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. In the put rose up garden, or shut up. put up or shut up. He um, in that voice, exact he, voice. He called the leadership contest and then stood in it. He did, yeah. They changed the rules after that. Yeah, you have to. So you, you, you have to be nommed, nom yeah, nom nom. Exactly. So, so. <laughs> oh yikes! Uh, so, <laughs> so. <laughs> So she can't kill off the Brexiteers by by doing. It. She has to wait for them to go after her. Maybe that's what she's well, doing. She does that. If, well, she. I think she's. And she'd probably win. Bring it on. She would win. It's yeah. about time. It's yeah, about time. It is about time. Yeah. Well, watch this space, eh? Watch this space. Watch this space. I would like now, Steve, 
to talk about Prime Minister's Questions and Jeremy Corbyn. Would you? Did you see it? I did see it, yeah. Now, you might be able to hear in the background. It was a bit... A little tune played. It was a bit bus-themed, wasn't it? Well, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong, and I wrote this in the review of PMQs, which I do every week on the European website. It's brilliant, by the way. The European website. Oh, it's great, Especially yeah. my PMQs review. Yeah. A hot take. Yeah. Just after lunch. It is sizzly. Um, I haven't got a problem with, with Jeremy Corbyn talking about buses. No. Um, Jen Williams of the MEN, a uh, fine journalist, sort of stuck up for Corbyn last night on Twitter and said, this is a big issue for people. I agree completely. Buses at PMQs, I'm all for. Yes. But you wait years for a question on buses at PMQs. And then? Six all at once. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And the thing was, the thing that really annoyed me about his bus obsession um, was that actually he didn't even ask six questions. He asked the same question yeah. six he, times. He six, yeah, he did. And Theresa May dodged it pretty much from the Successfully, off. Successfully, yeah. yeah. And I just think, yes, ask your bus question. It's a good point to raise. And it's it's good for, obviously it's good for Labour because people out there who are sick to the back teeth have not been able to get anywhere and their bus service has been cancelled and their fares going up, uh, will go, yeah, brilliant. He's bringing up the problem I have every morning trying to get to work, I have every afternoon trying to go shopping, whatever. That's great. Yeah. Good, good politics. But we've got a government here that is wobbling, really, really wobbling. We've got a cabinet that is fighting amongst itself, like no cabinet possibly in the history of British politics. We've got, and doing it publicly and openly, we've got a crunch meeting at the end of the week, you know, the, uh, as we got to PMQs at the end of the week, where we could have walkouts, yep. we could have... Uh, Christopher Chope's wife, by the way, has offered to pick anyone up who walks out of their ministerial job on Friday because they have to give their ministerial car straight back. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and, and he's gone on buses. Oh, he's going I'll on buses. get you for this, Corbyn. It just makes me scream. I mean, what do you think? You weren't as worked up about this as me, but I just thought it's an open goal. Again, Well, I, again. Agree, I agree that... It's like that Gaza. You know, it's like when the ball came across in the 96 semi-final and he just, just got... stretch it out. But Corbyn's not stretching. He's not, no. He's just watching it. He is. Trickle past again and again and again. He has chances I know. to score goals on Brexit. I know. And he misses I... on purpose. So I didn't really have as much of a problem with it as you did. Um, I did have a problem that there were six questions all about it. I thought it was a reasonably good tactic which appeared to catch us slightly off guard to start off with. Yeah. Um, but it was quite easily dealt with. But buses are incredibly important to people. Of and, course. And I, I, also, I was surprised to see a lot of people saying buses aren't important to people. Because you live in London, you don't think buses are important to people. Buses are important to about half of London. Yeah, buses are very really, well you used know, in London. They're very yeah, well yeah. used in London. Yeah, and it's only, you know, south of the river, the in tubes fact, are, Underground. I have to say, the only time when I've I've used buses regularly is when I've been in London. So but I think they're important all over the country, though. Obviously, if you've got the benefit of the tubes, they are less important. Yeah, transport is easier in London. There's absolutely no doubt yeah. about that. And but and just going back to that, um, just going back to that YouGov thing I was talking about before, I was watching that thinking, who else in this on that front bench would have would have done that? And mm. Angela Rayner, I noticed, was. Um, Rhys Mogg is 56 popularity percentage popularity points behind Angela Rayner yeah. and she wouldn't have done that no. on a week like that she'd have kicked him in the teeth Yeah, because yeah. she is a, a bit of a scrapper yeah. you know and there's quite a few scrappers Thornbury you know yeah um, the other thing that annoys me about he hasn't Corbyn, really got he, he can't really lay a glove on can he he's, he's obviously been he's obviously been trained um to have a certain... Because when he first started doing BMQs, it was very different than how he does it now. But uh, but he's still... I don't think he's any more effective. It was almost more effective before because it was... It, they've tried to style him into this almost like snidey, um, sort of snipey yes, character have, yeah. at the dispatch box. And he, ju- he just can't do it. And no. then he, get, he builds up into a ran at the end and he gets sort of red in the face and it looks... That's like a school teacher telling off a... An errant school child, you know. And then the other thing that annoys me more is when Theresa May, because of course she gets the last word, because she gets the last answer, just reels off, I'll tell you yeah, what exactly, this story yeah, going yeah. to do. It's, it's just not as much fun as it used to be, is it? No, definitely not. 
All right, well, shall we... Uh, well, you need Park to leave. Park the bus for a minute. Park the bus. You need to leave because you're not invited to this party. For oh, the NHS party. Yeah, it's a very exclusive party and you've not been invited. And then you'll be back later to crown a Brexit of the week. All right, enjoy. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858... 438840 and quoting podcast one, or order online at our website www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry, fight Brexit, subscribe to the New European. Happy birthday to <laughs> you. Jerry's joined me. Oh, I didn't it, expect that. <laughs> well, it's not Jerry's birthday, no. is it? Well, no, but people do keep saying that I should bring in cakes. Because it is the NHS. the NHS's 70th birthday. birthday. And as we've mentioned before, Jerry's particular expertise is in health. Mm-hmm, very exciting. Are you a particularly healthy person? Yeah, I mean, I go to the gym. Do you take lifts or do you take stairs? I take stairs. Good. Um, I try and eat my five a day. Yeah. Um, do you carry anything upstairs? What do you mean? Sofas. <laughs> I carry things upstairs. In joke there. Um, okay, so the NHS is 70. It is. Let's before we get to the Brexit bits. Yeah. Let's give us a give us a, an update on, on, the on, the, on the health of the NHS at seventy. <laughs> well, so a lot's changed, um, obviously. But since when, it was born, since it was born, yeah, yeah. Um, there have been a lot of technological advances. Staffing has changed. Staffing has increased exponentially. I mean, yeah. I um, I wrote a piece for um, today where. It said there were only eleven thousand doctors when the NHS first started. And how many have we got now? You know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Um, and nurses, there's so much more nurses and so many more different positions. So that's changed. The way the NHS works is constantly changing, expanding and then contracting and having, you know, kind of lots of little parts of it and then massive parts of it again. Yeah. Um, and that's consistently going on. And it is now. Um, and of course. A couple of weeks ago, we had the announcement that for the NHS's 70th birthday, the government was going to stick 20 billion in out of the non-existent. Jeremy Corbyn in PMQs brought up um, how the NHS should be properly funded. Yes. Um, Theresa May, he's on a sticky wiki with that though now, isn't he? Because they've put that money in and she can claim that in the Labour manifesto, they said 2.4%, I think it was, would make it a world leader again. Mm -hmm. And they're pledging more, but this is all kind of funny money and it depends which way you look at it and all that sort of thing. And it's the it? same as with a lot of Labour's stuff at the moment, isn't it? That, that it's all very well to say that, but again, it's not it's not bottomed out. Like, no. where is that coming from? No, quite. So is uh, that money that the Tories have pledged to the NHS, is that a, a shot in the arm or, I think we touched on it the other week, didn't we? or is this sort of standstill money? Yeah, we did kind of speak about it the other week. It is standstill money. Um no one in the health service is saying no thank you, obviously. Of course not. Of course not. Um, but they are saying it, this is a drop in the ocean if we want to carry on being kind of world leaders in things. Like The Guardian today, for example, has a really good uh, feature on clinical trials and how we're doing really mm. well in clinical trials. And mm. if we want to keep doing that kind of stuff and being groundbreaking and world leading, then there needs to be more money, essentially. Yeah. Um, but it's not just that kind of stuff either. It is the day-to-day stuff, mm-hmm. making sure they can deal with the people coming into A&E and operations and outpatients, etc. It's the normal stuff. When you talk to, to doctors and another NHS staff, do they talk about um, there being a, a golden age for the NHS fairly recently when Labour pumped all that money and New Labour pumped a lot of money and didn't they got waiting lists down? Yeah, I think I think that definitely is... You know, not everyone thinks that, obviously, but there is definitely a bit of a nostalgic hark to the past when a lot of NHS staff will acknowledge that in that time, efficiency wasn't great, that money wasn't being used to the best way it could be, and there was a lot of kind of fat to be cut. Yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of gone in completely the opposite direction, they feel, in that they could still do with more money, even if they're going to use it more efficiently. Um and it was, yeah, a, a bit more of a, a better funding era for yeah, the NHS. Yeah, um, So one of the issues, and it's very similar with education as well, I think that one of the problems the NHS has is that as each political cycle runs its course, 
the, and the next one starts, mm-hmm. changes occur. Mm-hmm. So you get you might get a Labour government that that ups funding, and you get this um, sort of you know good period for for uh, for money coming into the service, and then you get the Conservatives who are less likely to give money for the for the NHS. So I guess an example of that is with um, <clears throat> the Andrew Lansley reforms under mm-hmm. the Coalition, yeah, and you yeah. saw he came in and really created a lot of silos in the health service yeah. where they're kind of a bit pitted off against each other, yeah. everyone's their own organisation and competing, um, whereas now we're moving back again towards more kind of integrated working, that's very jargony, but integrated working and people working together rather than against so, each other. So I think what I'm trying to get at is uh, it was it was Ed Miliband, I think, who said that Labour needed to weaponise the NHS. Yep. Um, but, but really, is this... We're talking about people's health, yep. talking about their lives here. It is should it be above politics? And how do you how would you manage that? How could you take it out of the political arena and, and sort of ring fence it? Do you think and protect it? Yeah, it should be above politics. I think. Um, and if you look at what um, Bevan said when he first set up the NHS, he said that this should be the basis of any civilized society. So yeah, yeah, it should be above politics. Um, you know, the Tories have announced this ten-year plan uh-huh. um, to kind of, you know, try and give some stability. But it's a ten-year plan as long as they're in power. Exactly. So there's no grounding behind it. I think the only way you could take it out of politics would be, well, it'd be really difficult because how how you know well, how could you stop? Yeah, politicians aren't going to want to surrender it as a weapon either. No, of course they're not. And you know, when when one parliament can't find the next, then what are you going to do? Mm. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, but. Almost, almost. Is there an argument to for devolution for the NHS? Oh God, more, more layers of uh, know, NHS bureaucracy. That's just come up. I've just off the top of my head. The NHS could have its own mayor. Uh huh. Are you going to run for it? Uh, no, I'll do really it. I'll like, take it. I don't really like injections. <laughs> and I'd be worried that I might keep opening doors and people would be having injections and stuff. <laughs> that is, that is how it happens in uh, the yeah. hospital. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought so. Absolutely. So. Brexit looming, by all accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, what is where's the danger for the NHS? Because so, because a lot of especially on the left, a lot of lefty leavers cited TTIP mm-hmm. as the reason they wanted to vote leave. Yeah, absolutely, they did. Yeah, and the and the consequences for the NHS of that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these a lot of these arguments are made really well in um, the. <laughs> NHS supplement you've got we've got in this week, yeah. Um, and one of those is that this is affecting staffing. Uh-huh. Um, there's a Spanish nurse called uh, Joe. He's based in Norfolk, where we're based, and um, he has lived here for 17 years and loves it. But he said he sees people leaving now, and even people like him who've been here longer term are making exit strategies for him for his children once Brexit happens and. Mm. A massive proportion of our NHS is made up of migrant workers. Yeah. So, even if those rights are guaranteed, which they haven't been yet, not not concretely, is you know the worry is that there's, they just don't feel at home here anymore, which is what Joe's saying. The other part of it is research and access to money and up to date technology and you know pooling of resources. That's a worry for the NHS as well. Mm. Um. And, you know, the the whole argument on the side of that big red bus was £350 million extra a week for the NHS, and that's just... That's not coming from Brexit. It's a lie, isn't it? It is a lie. Um, and a, another example of the health service being weaponised. Yeah. Is there a lot of anger about that bus in the NHS? Yeah, there is. Um, and, you know, Jeremy Hunt may be the longest-serving health secretary, but he's not the most popular no. by far. Um on the ground, he's not popular, and they don't like him, and they don't really see this twenty billion as we're giving this because we want to support our NHS and believe in it. Mm. It's more of a definitely a kind of PR move. Yeah, yeah. And what about the you know the Brexiteers will say, well, we shouldn't be relying on migrant workers to run our NHS. We should be training our own young people to be doctors, nurses, etc., yeah. etc. And to be fair to the government, there have been lots of schemes introduced to try and get people into those positions to, you know, expand 
the GP workforce to expand the doctor workforce um, and nurses as well, but they have cut the bursaries for nursing students yeah. and that's had a massive effect um, on younger students going in, but I'm told more so on people later on in their careers who maybe want to swap to nursing because yeah. they can't get the finance um, and also the conditions... There are so many people leaving, the conditions are so bad that people don't want to go into it. When you say conditions, what? So I'm talking about long working hours. Uh-huh. I, you won't speak to a junior doctor who finishes any of their shifts on time. No. You know, you hear stories of nurses not being able to go to the bathroom during their shifts because they're rushed off their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, there are these charts that you see in hospital board papers where um, the staffing levels are shown and they're coded as red, green or yellow, depending on how well they're doing, and just seas of red about how they haven't got enough staff on. Spending on agencies is through the roof. And, yeah, so why... And the pay isn't great either, even though they've just had no. their pay rise. So why would you... Why? What, what, what attraction is there to go into that career for them? Not much. Yes. Um, it's a calling, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, it's a calling. And, you know, there's there's no denying that the people that work in the NHS do brilliant work. Oh, absolutely, no doubt. Every day, saving lives. Yeah, um, yeah. But you can't run a health service on goodwill alone. No. Is it is it as simple as we need even more money, especially with Brexit on the horizon? Yeah, I think it is. I really think it is. I think there's a lot of other areas which are kind of hot spots for problems. We haven't got social care. mental health care right, social care as mm-hmm. well. Um, there are a lot of areas that could do with reform in other ways and in, in our response to things, but all of it is underpinned by not having enough money to operate the way they should be able to. Okay, finally, if if um, Nye and Clem were were sat here now on this podcast, what a blockbuster podcast that would be! <laughs> but if they were, and looking at the NHS we've got today, you know, seventy years on from from its uh, creation. What what do you think they would? What would they think about today's NHS? It's it's difficult, isn't it? Because the founding principles of the NHS that it's free at the point of delivery, um, that care shouldn't be based on your means, um, and it's available for everyone. All those kind of things, they 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 still apply. That is still true. Um, you know, you're not going to turn up at your local hospital tomorrow with a broken leg and they ask you to get your checkbook out. Checkbook? Who? Um, or your credit card out. Wait a minute, I thought you were young. Checkbook? Um, yeah, they're not going to ask you to um, get out your shillings and <laughs> pay. It'd be contactless payment, wouldn't it? Yeah, contactless what payment if you broke your, your hands? Well, you can't pay, could you? You'd have to do it under your arm or something. Um, but there are things that, you know, they that they wouldn't recognise and... And the the difference in training is a big one and the difference in the use of the NHS as well. I think the... Personally, I think they'd be very proud of... Oh, of, of course, what, yeah, of, yeah, absolutely. Of what it still achieves on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think they'd be astonished as well at the size the of scale. The... It's a vast beast, the NHS. Um, and we all take it... Often we all just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's worth, isn't it, at 70 years, recognising what an incredible thing it is um and praying for its uh for its life to continue long into the future yes it's another 70 years thanks jerry brexiteer of the week welcome back welcome back welcome back steve hello do you want one of these cakes no no healthy cakes carrot cake carrot oh lovely Mm. let's crown a brexiteer of the week yes let's um, well, we've talked about Theresa May, haven't we? Um, what we've not talked about is that earlier in the week she told the Commons there has been much jocularity around the term Brexit means Brexit, but it does mean Brexit. <laughs> and, I mean, where do you go with well, that? What's, I mean, what's going to be next? I am the Brexit man, they are the Brexit men. I am Brexit, goo 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 jube. It's a great song, that. It is a good song, yeah. And all... all it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, Brexit's coming home. Maybe she'll just start saying that. <laughs> um, Lord Ashcroft next. Uh, good old Lord, Lord Ashcroft. Um, there was an article that, written by Lord Ashcroft. It appeared in uh, newspapers on June the 22nd, 2016. I think it might have appeared in the Telegraph. Anyway, it said, forget the hysteria. 
Leaving the European Union would not put a bomb under the British economy. Mm. And this week, Lord Ashcroft, who of course is a resident in the um, Andy Wigmore and Aaron Banks approved tax haven of Belize, has written an article telling British companies that they should set up a base in Malta so they can trade easily with the EU27 after Brexit. Some UK firms have understandably decided they will need a base in the EU in future, he wrote. Right. Not much forget the hysteria there, is there? No, not really. Uh, let's talk about Tory uh, CCHQ, Conservative Central HQ. Yeah. I really love this tweet from them. It said... We are introducing new rules to protect package holiday makers and save customers tens of millions of pounds. Yay! And they tweeted that on J- July That's the first. Great 1st. news! Brilliant! What a great initiative! We're <laughs> taking back control. <laughs> but they do, what they didn't mention is that it was nothing to do with the Conservatives or Britain. It's an EU initiative which will be in operation across all member states, and you know, unless they enshrine it into law, it'll just stop anyway. Um, also, did this? I'm just going slightly off piste here, but I don't know if we're talking about tweets from Tories. Yeah. Did you see there was one? You know this thing about we uh, we are building some uh, warships for Australia. I did, see even that. though we're not really building them, no. and they are being built in Australia. Yeah. But anyway, we've won a big contract. Theresa May, May tweeted this out, or whoever operates Theresa May's. Um, oh, uh, she'll do it. Twitter campaign. Yeah. Well, I thought she was more into Insta, but. She's yeah, she. I think she's big. Or, or just I think she's Snapchat. big across the anyway across, across the all. She's the queen of memes, isn't she? she anyway, she, but she tweeted this with a picture of a warship, and it said "done deal" across it, like, like she just signed wow. Ronaldo from Real Madrid <laughs> to play on the number ten football team. Chloe Westley is the runner-up Brexiteer of the week this week. And I don't know if you... Do you know who Chloe Wesley is? You know. Rack off, Chloe. Rack off. She is from Australia. She's the spokesperson for the right-wing pressure group, the Taxpayers Alliance. Quite shady about... <sighs> don't really like to discuss who funds the Taxpayers right Alliance, run in with one of her predecessors once in the Midland. And she, uh, and she comes on Question Time and Daily Politics and Mar quite often and sort of says that Brexit will all be... Sunshine and unicorns and all of that. And yeah. This Sunday... You're flaming galah. You're flaming galah. This Sunday, she's at London's Troubadour, and Chloe Wesley, from the Taxpayers Alliance, big yeah. Brexiteer, yeah. is going to be reading her own poetry... A poetry? ...at a big Brexit party. What a thing to... Oh. There's going to be a Brexit comedian... On Sunday? A Brexit DJ. What's he going to play? What a Brexit DJ play? I don't know. Uh, we'll come back to that one. Yeah. I'm not spontaneous enough to be able to answer those Brexit things. DJ. What, like a house DJ? Like dance music DJ? Yeah. Like, it's a Brexit DJ, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Go. Well, yeah, I think it'd be a good do. Anyway, in case you can't go, and in case you, new European listener, can't go, I've got a little taste of what you're going to be missing, and this is from Chloe's poem, Young and Free. Right, right, I'm going to have right. To, I, I'll, do the, I'll try and do the accent. Britain, when I landed on your shores, you were neither young nor free. For too long your people have been bled dry of their money, their identity and their power. My great-grandfather was called to arms to defend his home from invasion. This is a fucking poem, by the way. (laughs) So how can I be afraid of using my small voice to stand up for you as well? I mean, it's stirring stuff, isn't it? I don't really follow the It's not the really meter. a poem, is it? But anyway... It's not a poem. Australian... I, I studied poetry, and, and Chloe, your, your metre is all out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it's us either a, call. a gas metre or an electric metre. Give us a call, it's... and we'll talk you through it. But anyway, I've thought of a really good nickname now for yes. Aussie Chloe. Yeah. Palmer's Rock. Oh, I think that's racist. Is it? I think you've been accidentally racist there. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway... Who's the winner? The Brexiteer of the Week is back. We're back to Jacob Rees-Mogg. Um, and we're talking about politicians trying to uh, cash in on being one of the lads in football. And Theresa yeah. May was Ooh. doing this as well, <laughs> and they've all been at it, haven't they? Football. And football crazy. He's, lo- he's, he's mental about football. Oh, I football, bet he's football crazy, football mad. Rees-Mogg. Yeah. I bet he's out in Always the... watching Green Street, in he? 
I bet he's out in the garden with all his kids. Singing football's coming home yeah. in Latin. <laughs> Just trying to decide whether to play with a sweeper or wing back. So it is on his Mogcast podcast, which mm. I've now become a, a listener to. Is it funny? I'm listening. No, it's terrible. How long is it? It's too long. Is it? Yeah. People say that about this podcast. Uh, they're, they're right. Um, he is. He's talking about the World Cup, and he said, "Oh, it's looking good, isn't it? It's yeah. looking very good." He yeah. said, and he said, uh, I, I w- "He was very impressed," and he said, "It was a." There was a very t- clever tactical defeat to Belgium. It was very cleverly and subtly done. Uh, and obviously, we did lose to Belgium, maybe deliberately, and it gave England a better chance of going on to glory. Yeah. And I wonder if readers of, and listeners can think of another situation in which we might have to accept a narrow defeat to a group of people from Brussels in order to secure long-term progress for the home nation. Mm. I don't know. Can't think. Can't think of one. Can't think. Um, but Jacob Rees-Mogg is the Brexiteer of the week. And it's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. Brexit's coming home. <laughs> What's your favourite football song? World in Motion. Yeah. Of Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's oh. great, isn't it? I, I, it combines, you know, two great things. Football and New Order. New order. It's a brilliant thing. It's I've a, been it's listening a wonderful to it. thing. I've been listening to it a lot. It's so, it's so what great. What second... What second? Uh, I, so I like, um, there's a record called The Game by a band called Tackhead, which has got the late great, it's like a, Tackhead were the house band of uh, Sugar Hill Records, and then they moved to, so they played on things like The Message and stuff like mm-hmm. that, um, and um, White Lines, mm-hmm. and um, they... Then moved to England and they um, they made records as Tackhead with a producer called Adrian Sherwood. And this record is fantastic. It's like industrial funk. It's really funky uh, with all these weird sort of sirens in it and stuff like that. But it, over the top of it, it's got the voice of the great football commentator, Brian Moore. And they've not just, Adrian Sherwood's not just spliced in bits of his commentary. He's actually saying stuff like... Um, he says stuff like the lead guitarist is waiting to come on. He's such an economical user of the ball. And there's another one where he says... Uh, so he got in touch to record it? Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And there's a picture of Brian Moore uh, with a tackhead baseball cap. Another one, he says, uh, it looks like the drummer's been injured. The sound specialist's on the field giving treatment to the drummer. <laughs> it's absolutely magic. That sounds Go fun. and look for it, the game by tackhead. I was expecting you just to see a Vindaloo or three lines, but I no. enjoyed that. I yeah, enjoyed yeah, that. yeah. Um, the game by Tackhead. While you're on the internet, yeah, follow the New European. Good idea. At the New European, follow me on Twitter at Sanglesey S A N G L E S E Y. If you've liked this podcast, then please give us a great review on your podcatcher of choice, iTunes or or whatever, Spotify. Really makes a massive difference. It make that. a big difference. A, to more, us. a bigger difference than you could ever imagine that would make to to us. It will. And you can follow me on Twitter as well at Porritt P O double T. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you for listening. Even with so many other distractions, you listen to us. It means the world. Also, there's less football next week, so you'll need something to read. Go and get the New European. It's £2.50. It's chocked full of stuff. And if for nothing else, the brilliant art on the front is worth the cover price alone. We'll be back next week. Until then, Mr Campbell, play your bagpipes. Here you go. Well, some of the crowd are on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs>